The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Thursday, July 22, hiatus edition of PFT Live and PFT PM. Not a whole lot happening today. Thought about not even doing it, but I've given my word that I will trudge through the very difficult task of sitting here on my ass and talking to you for 15, 20 minutes, maybe a little bit more. Whenever I think there's not going to be much, that's when it ends up going on a lot longer than I thought. So let's get right to it. Big news today in Tampa Bay for the Buccaneers. They get their rings tonight. Seems like it's been late the past couple of years. I'm sure the pandemic has something to do with that. In past years, we would see the rings be distributed in early June. Now, just as the Bucs are getting ready for camp, they're getting their rings. Super Bowl 55, victory finally over official you got the ring and now you can start on your quest for super bowl 56 championship rings a lot of people see the buccaneers as one of the favorites to get back to the super bowl possibly win another one with tom brady there and with that unrelenting desire he has to get to number eight and then to number nine and then to number 10 the buccaneers or whichever team he may play for in the future made that point yesterday after the next two seasons maybe he goes somewhere else wherever he is whatever he does it's safe to assume he will inspire everyone around him to do everything they can to become Super Bowl champion so he can get the next one. Early in his career, he was asked, what's your favorite Super Bowl ring? He always said the next one. He gets the next one tonight, and I look forward to seeing the pictures of him flashing the six Patriots rings and adding the seventh, maybe sliding it over um, one strategically selected finger. The Dallas Cowboys won a couple of rings with Jimmy Johnson as the head coach and the architect of the team of the early 90s. Yesterday, in his opening day of training camp media session, owner Jerry Jones, the guy who couldn't get along with Jimmy Johnson because Johnson was getting all the credit, Jones expressed regret. And over time, he's been more and more open and candid about his role and his responsibility in the divorce that kept the Cowboys from continuing their run of greatness. Yes, they won a Super Bowl in 1995, more than a year after Jimmy Johnson left the team, but that was with the team Johnson built. If Johnson had been there to navigate the waters of free agency and reload the team, make some, some astute trades like the Herschel Walker trade, maybe the Cowboys would have continued a run of greatness like what we saw from the New England Patriots. Although the difference is Jimmy Johnson went elsewhere, went to the Dolphins, and it didn't really work out for him in Miami. So it was a magical time for the Cowboys. Maybe it wouldn't have lasted all that much longer anyway, but a good thing was going and Jerry Jones acknowledging his role in causing that good thing to run aground prematurely. And he's seen how hard it's been to get back to what the Cowboys had. Not since 1995, that year with Barry Switzer when they won a Super Bowl, have the Cowboys been even to the NFC championship 26 years and counting for the Cowboys to play in the game that determines who plays in the Super Bowl a very very long dry spell for the Cowboys and a very high degree of urgency every year for Jones to get back there and I used to hear that Jones would much rather 
compete for a Super Bowl with a team that he built than ride sidecar to a coach slash de facto GM who builds the team and Jerry's just there. As he gets closer and closer to that last chance at winning a Super Bowl in his lifetime, could he eventually say, you know what? I want someone to come in and take over like he did with Bill Parcells in the early part of last decade. There was a roller coaster the Cowboys were on. They would try to get things done with Jones in charge. They'd bought him out, and then he went and got Bill Parcells. Well, post-Bill Parcells, he's decided, I'll try to make this work my way. Will he at some point say, I can't ultimately make it work my way. I'll go after a coach who will come in and run everything and help us get to where we need to be. They have done a good job putting talent together, though, in Dallas in recent years, but the coaching has been the problem. I guess that's the great irony. They finally have a pretty good team, and they've had a good team for the past several years, but the coaching has been unable to get them to where they want to go. We'll see whether or not that coaching can improve this year and whether or not that results in a third year for Mike McCarthy as coach of the team. John Gruden, it's his fourth year as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. No playoff appearances yet for Gruden in his return to the NFL. He was the head coach, obviously, the Buccaneers the last time. They got Super Bowl rings. Mike Mayock, the team's GM, had some comments recently about the dynamics between the two guys. And basically, hey, behind closed doors, we fight it out. We come to an agreement and we move forward. And that's great. But here's the bottom line. If the Raiders aren't better this year, there's going to be another scapegoat. Last year, it was defensive coordinator Paul Gunther who got fired during the season. There was a thought in league circles that Mayock was going to be a scapegoat after 2020. But I believe that John Gruden realized, who else am I going to get? Because see, with Gruden holding the power, it makes it harder to go out and pluck someone who's with another team. That's why, for example, the Raiders ended up hiring somebody who wasn't working for a team. Just like with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, he's got the power. They hired somebody who wasn't working for a team because a team can say, no, we're not letting someone come and be the general manager if that general manager isn't the person who's in control of the draft, the roster, et cetera. It's Gruden's call. It's Gruden's show. And Gruden has managed to avoid a lot of the criticism. And I think in part because he's created this subtle perception that he doesn't run the show when he actually does. Will that help him after 2021 or 2022? Ultimately, the decisions are made by Mark Davis, the owner of the team. And Davis, as I've said in the past, continues to be buddy-buddy with John Gruden. At what point will that relationship be undermined by chronic failures of the Raiders to get to the playoffs? This year, expectations are higher than ever before. Point I've made about the AFC teams. There are a lot of contenders. There are going to be some good teams that don't make it to the playoffs. Let's run through the list again. Bills, Patriots, Steelers, Browns, Ravens, Titans, Colts, Chargers, Chiefs. That's nine teams right there, and there's only seven spots. And then you put in the Raiders at number 10. Good luck making it to the playoffs this year in the AFC. I think injuries are going to have a lot to do with it. I think the margin for error is going to be thin for a lot of these teams, and one key injury is going to be enough to throw them out of contention. But if, if there's a sense in Las Vegas – that it's playoffs or bust this year, or more accurately, it's playoffs or Mike Mayock gets sacrificed. I think Mike Mayock's going to get sacrificed because I think it's going to be very difficult for the Raiders, who could even be better than last year, but still not good enough to get one of those seven playoff spots that will be available in the AFC. Lastly, 
a team that got to the final eight last year with Jared Goff at quarterback now has Matthew Stafford. We talked earlier in the week about the injury to running back Cam Akers, Achilles tendon torn out for the year. There's been some chatter about Todd Gurley. Almost instantly, his name was trending on Twitter after the news broke of Akers' injury. Eric Dickerson, Hall of Fame running back, who has shown in the past he's got some influence over the Rams organization. He called it a no-brainer in comments to TMZ that the Rams should go out and bring back Todd Gurley. I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think Gurley wants to do it. I don't think the Rams want to do it. I think the Rams want somebody who's younger and more durable. I think Gurley, from his perspective, that bridge is burned. He was upset last year that he didn't get his money that he was owed by the Rams. He eventually got it, but he didn't get it right away. And I think there's just a general sense of discontent on both sides. It was a mistake to give him the big contract. He got a lot of money that the Rams, in hindsight, shouldn't have given to him. I think it's hard at this point for the Rams to bring him back and for Gurley to want to come back. But here's the key. They better placate Eric Dickerson. They better find a way to get Dickerson on board with what they're doing. Sean McVay needs to call Dickerson and talk to him about this and make sure he understands why Gurley would not be a fit, even though he knows the offense and knows the personnel and knows the coaching staff. Because you don't want Eric Dickerson to be against you. We saw what happened late in the 2016 season when Eric Dickerson decided he'd had enough of Jeff Fisher. Even though it may have been coincidental that Dickerson taking on a fairly public role in campaigning against Fisher got or didn't get Fisher fired. Again, there may be no connection, but there's a perception there was a connection. There's a perception that Dickerson's got some juice. And if the Rams are smart, they'll make sure that Dickerson is on board with what the Rams are deciding to do. All right, as promised, fairly brief today. Let's see if there are any questions that rise to the level of not smart-ass remarks that I can maybe answer here. All right, let's see what's here. Sight unseen, baby. Tom Marshall at a red zone out. Was Tony Busby's swipe at Deshaun Watson a sign that Rusty Harden currently has the upper hand? Quick background, Tony Busby, the lawyer who represents the 22 individuals suing Deshaun Watson. Rusty Harden, the lawyer who represents Watson. There had been silence surrounding the case, leaving the door open for a possible settlement. Busby's gratuitous slap at Watson from earlier this week would suggest that settlement isn't going to happen. Now, it could be that Busby's just trying to stir up some crap at this point to maybe get settlement talks back on track. You know, in the life of a litigation, there are various points in time where it makes sense to make a run at settling because you need both sides to agree that the time is now to get both sides to go to their bottom line position. And with training camp opening next week, there is value to Deshaun Watson in settling now. Once camp opens, he gets thrust into this uncertainty of paid leave, not paid leave, report to the Texans, don't report to the Texans. If there's a settlement to be had, now's the time to do it. And it could be that Busby did what he did just to remind Watson and Harden that, hey, you know what? There's a good reason for you to try to work this case out before it's time to report for training camp. But we'll know in a week or so whether or not Watson does. And I, as I've said time and again, the league should let Watson and the Texans know whether or not he's going to be placed on paid leave. They've had more than enough time to investigate the allegations and come to that preliminary conclusion. All right, let's see what else we have here. 
Paul, hashtag Bills Mafia. Now that the Pagulas have announced their intention of building a new stadium in Orchard Park, are you confident the Bills will remain in Western New York for the foreseeable future? Look, we, we've seen this time and again, and I'll just give you one example. When the Rams were in St. Louis and I was reading the tea leaves, or as Sims would say, reading between the tea leaves, and and interpreting what was happening as a sign that the Rams were eventually going to move to Los Angeles, folks in St. Louis were shouting me down at every turn. They're never gonna leave. They're not gonna leave. And look, part of what we're learning now is folks believed that they weren't leaving in St. Louis because some people connected to the Rams weren't telling the truth about, for example, the significance of the land that Stan Kroenke bought in Inglewood. When it comes to stadium financing and new stadium projects, owners don't want to pay their own money. And at one point, Kim Pagula said, co-owner of the bill, she said, basically, we're tapped out from buying the team. We can't build our own stadium and pay for it ourselves. So, and this is similar to what David Tepper, the Panthers owner, said a few weeks ago. Owners don't want to foot the bill for their own stadium. They want to get a public-private partnership where roughly a third, maybe more, is paid by taxpayers, roughly a third is paid by the PSL licenses, and then roughly a third comes out of the pocket of the owner of the team. And if that's what the Pagulas want to do, if they're not going to build their own stadium, and this is going to be contingent on finding public financing, and they just can't find it, then you become the Las Vegas Raiders, where in Oakland, they couldn't get the public financing. So they went to a place that would provide the public financing like Las Vegas. And then you've got the former San Diego Chargers. They couldn't get the financing to build a stadium there. So they went to a place where they could be tenants in the stadium that Stan Kroenke was building with his own money. See, it's the two ways to look at this. One, if you are bound to determine to get public money to build your stadium, your first preference is to get the public money where you are. If you can't, and there's some other city out there that is dangling the public money necessary to build the stadium, hey, folks, it's business. They, they don't want to say it's business. We've gone over this time and again. Football is family. No. Football is business. They say football is family because it's good for business to say football is family. It's business, business, business. They don't want us to think it's business, just like once upon a time, they didn't want us to think wrestling was fake. Now, we know wrestling is fake, and we still like it. Now, if everybody became cynical about NFL business, would we still like it? Well, I still do, and I understand how it works. So at some point, maybe they do need to drop the facade and just say, we're just making business decisions here. So business decision is, number one, if I want free money for this stadium and I can't get it where I am, I'll go get it somewhere else. Business decision two, if I got to pay for all of this myself, am I going to pay for it in a small market or am I going to pay for it in a bigger market? because the costs aren't all that dramatically different. If I can go to a place where, in addition to hosting my games every year, I can have other events. I can have open air events in the winter time. Can't do that in Buffalo. Now they could get a dome stadium. I haven't seen the details about what kind of stadium they're looking for, but boy, it's hard to give up that home field advantage in December and January. So these are all factors that go into it. My point is this, don't assume anything when it comes to whether or not a team is going to leave the place where it currently is, because we're talking about billions of dollars on the line here. And also, there's no reason for the owners of any team 
to say or do anything that would suggest that they are going to leave where they are until it's time to literally pack up the Mayflower moving truck in the middle of the night and go from Baltimore to Indianapolis. So my point would be, if they want to build a stadium, well, number one, you better hope that you can get public money for it. And if you can't, and they have to pay for it themselves, that they're willing to pay for it themselves and stay in Buffalo when there may be more lucrative options in larger markets where you can have events around the entire calendar. Joe Delfino, if vaccinated players can still get the virus and spread it, why not test them every day as well? You know, that's a good question. This gets to one of Cole Beasley's concerns about the NFL's rules. Vaccinated players, the league told me a few weeks back, they get tested at least once every 14 days. Unvaccinated players are going to get tested every single day. And yes, it's possible that vaccinated players can get the virus and spread it around. So if you're only testing them once every 14 days, you can have a guy who gets it and then it's gone by the time he's ever even tested again. And hey, look, these are issues the NFL has to resolve. Should they go back to daily testing of everyone? Should we be back under the rules of 2020? That's what sets the stage for more postponements and potential cancellations of games. Under the current procedure, especially if you get 85% vaccination rates for most of these teams, you're not gonna have to worry about guys suddenly not being available to play, even if they may actually be COVID positive at the time the game goes on at the time they're traveling, at the time they're interacting with teammates, et cetera. So this is an issue that could bubble up as we get closer and closer to the start of the season. And uh, it's going to be here before we know it. So I'm keeping an eye on that. And I'm keeping an eye on how the NFL is handling it, especially now since we've seen that the infection rates are rising pretty much throughout the country. Triple fake KD, if he stays 100% healthy, what numbers does Ezekiel Elliott finish with in this offense and how many touches will he average in this offense? I mean, I'm not going to start making specific proclamations, but if he gets back to being the guy that he was before 2019, look, he's a guy that can can take a 15-yard run and make it a 50-yard run. That's one of the things that Sims noticed right away after Ezekiel Elliott's holdout. Once he got through the first and second level of the defense, he didn't have the power and speed to turn it into a home run. He would get tracked down. Now, supposedly Ezekiel Elliott in great shape. This is, I'm in the best shape of my life time of the year anyway for pretty much every NFL player. How many guys show up for camp and say, man, I am, I am just in awful shape. Everyone's in the best shape of their life, but we'll see. They've got the passing game that should create opportunities in the running game. And the Cowboys would benefit greatly from getting back to that mindset in the running game that forces a safety closer to the box because that completely unlocks the passing game. Run to set up the pass, don't pass to set up the run, but the Cowboys can definitely pass. They can't run like they used to. That's going to be the big test for Ezekiel Elliott. And if he can't get it done this year, it could be his last year with the Dallas Cowboys. The structure of his contract saved him from getting traded or cut this year because he has guarantees that became vested for next year, the way that the contract was set up. By next year, those guarantees start to shrink. And I think based on this season, he could be in danger of being released or traded after the year if he doesn't get back to being something like who he was. Next question. This comes from USMNT 2026 World Cup champs. That's slightly optimistic. Does Denver's offense have a higher ceiling with Drew Locke succeeding or Teddy Bridgewater playing like he did in New Orleans in 2019? Hey, look, if 
if Drew Locke becomes the guy that they thought he was going to be when they traded for him, or not when they traded for him, excuse me, when they drafted him in 2019 round two, then the Broncos can be one of those teams contending for a playoff spot. But it's been lack of consistency, inability to stay healthy that has prompted the Broncos to take a look at other alternatives, like a Teddy Bridgewater, who was 5-0 and with Sean Payton's offense. Look, that's the thing. Yes, there's some familiarity between Pat Shermer, the Denver offensive coordinator, and Teddy Bridgewater, but Bridgewater never played much. I think it was just like one game, and it wasn't a very great performance. I think it was against the Bengals in 2017, his last year with the Vikings, Shermer's last year as the offensive coordinator in Minnesota. We didn't see much from Bridgewater, really, since he he tore the ACL heading into the 2016 season. So uh, I, I, I'm not ready to presume he's going to be the guy who just you plug in and you're going to win game after game after game. The Broncos don't have that same talent like the Saints did and still do. And I still can't and won't rule out the possibility of Aaron Rodgers trade or Deshaun Watson trade to the Broncos before week one. And if that would happen, instantly, either guy, the Broncos become one of those teams seriously in the mix. You get to 10 teams at that point, seriously in the mix for a Super Bowl berth, knowing that three of those teams aren't even going to make it to the playoffs. All right, let's see what else we have here. H.S. Micken, dark horse Super Bowl contenders. I've been on Washington for a while. I think that if they can become the kind of team that Ryan Fitzpatrick, maybe at this point in his career, can make them offensively, they've got the defense. Guys are getting better. Ron Rivera, a great coach, one of the more underrated coaches in the NFL, a weak division where they're not even the favorites to win, and also the formula to beat the Buccaneers in the playoffs, which is... And, and we have to project forward 17 regular season games before we get to the postseason. But the development of Chase Young, the development of Montez Sweat, the development of the entire defense, the kind of pressure up the middle that can really knock Tom Brady off his spot and make it hard for him to move the ball offensively. Washington, I think, if I'm Tampa Bay, is the team I don't want to see in January. So I would make them the dark horse in the, in the NFC. In the AFC, there are no dark horses. They're all, they're all gleaming stallions. As we've said, there's too many good teams for playoff spots in the AFC. But uh, the Raiders, I think, would fall into that dark horse category because they're going to have their work cut out for them competing with the other teams in the AFC. Uh, Cullen Jekyll, your thoughts on the Chiefs' continued employment of Frank Clark? Well, look, there's nothing the Chiefs can really do at this point because of the structure of the contract he signed after he was traded to the Chiefs from the Seahawks prior to the 2019 season. Huge cap hit, guaranteed money that would remain fully guaranteed at this point. They could try to cut him for a reason other than skill injury or cap. It, it, it could be tough to pull off and it would invite an automatic grievance and they'd have to set aside all that cap space while they work out the grievance. It'd be a big mess. He may get placed on paid leave. It may be paying him to not play football this year. But I just think for now, the, the, the Chiefs' hands are tied because they rolled the dice on Clark, who had some off-field issues unrelated to the charge he currently faces of felony possession of an assault weapon. But they rolled the dice with Clark, and the structure of that contract puts them in a very delicate spot where uh, there really isn't much they can do other than wait and see what happens. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's see what else um, we have here. Drippy, do you believe, like me, that any players that are unvaccinated should be suspended without pay? Look, I won't put it that way. I'll say this. I think every player should be vaccinated. Now, does it make sense to mandate through an agreement between the league and the union that all players be vaccinated? I don't think that makes sense because – you could spark all sorts of potential unrest and you could have a lot of guys who say I'm not getting vaccinated. And then you force a showdown where teams would have to cut players or discipline players or put them on, on some sort of a reserve list where they're not paid while they make up their mind to get vaccinated. I, I don't think it's smart to use coercion to get anyone to get the vaccine. You want people to come to the conclusion on their own that this is what I need to do, which I think is why the league and the union have created incentives and also some disincentives aimed at getting players to come to the conclusion on their own. You want to lead the horse to water, but let him choose to drink it. And I know that hasn't been the case for coaches and non-player personnel where they could be a little more aggressive about saying you need to get the vaccination. But for players, I think it's critical that each player make that decision. And there has been subtle or not subtle effort by the league and the union to get players to choose to do it. But yes, I think everybody should get vaccinated. I think as Baker Mayfield put it yesterday, from a football standpoint, it creates a competitive advantage if you have a high rate of vaccinated players. And secondly, it's just the right thing to do from a societal standpoint. And look, folks, those of you who have your heels dug in, if you're still watching and listening, the, 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 the tide is changing a little bit. Listen to some of the people who politically would have been anti-vax or at least quiet about the vaccine, not saying anything, abstaining from the issue. Maybe they got vaccinated, but I'm not going to say other people should get vaccinated because politically it's not advantageous to me. We've seen people like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis come out and say, get vaccinated. Sean Hannity come out and say, get vaccinated. So the, the wind is blowing in a different direction here. And there was a phrase I heard the other day, the movable middle, that the focus is you know, the people who have been vaccinated on one hand, the people who will never get vaccinated, even if they're on their deathbed and a vaccine would save their lives. And then the people who are persuadable, that's where the focus is. Maybe there's enough in the middle that if we can get them to realize they should get vaccinated, 
that gets us to the point where enough people are vaccinated that we can get past this pandemic and get back to our lives. And how in the hell it's a political issue is beyond me. But I think one thing we've learned in recent years, everything is either inherently a political issue or it gets co-opted by politicians who see it as a way to advance their own individual political agendas. My agenda is what's right for everyone. And when the pandemic started, the agenda was take it seriously, wear masks, social distance, don't try to downplay it, don't try to minimize it. And then once the vaccine became available, the agenda became get the vaccine, do what's right. I got it as quickly as I could, and I encourage everyone to do the same. That's it for today. We'll have another edition of Hiatus PFT Live and PFT PM on Friday. Until then, check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Have a great Thursday. We'll see you tomorrow. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.